RTI Time Machine. Today's time traveler is John Van Trieste. And the destination Kaohsiung, the 19th century. For well over a century, a brick building has watched over the entrance of Kaohsiung Harbor. This is the former British consulate at Takao, Takao being an old name for Kaohsiung. It's a reminder of how this port city in southern Taiwan, full of container ships and maritime traffic today, first became involved in international commerce. Kaohsiung was among the imperial Chinese harbors forced open to foreign trade by Western powers after the Second Opium War. After 1860, the newly opened port became a center of sugar exports, while opium and factory-made textiles became the chief imports. Britain, one of the chief forces behind the opening of Kaohsiung, was eager to protect its nationals here and expand trade. And to further these interests, it decided to open up a consulate here. At first, the consulate was based on a boat floating in the harbor, but eventually a more permanent home was found. From 1879, Consuls worked in the brick building we see today and lived in a newly built residence up in the hills out back. Last week, Lin Shangying, the deputy head of Kaohsiung's Cultural Affairs Bureau, took us on a tour through the consulate's day-to-day -day operations and the trade that went on in the harbor outside. This week, she's back to take us inside the consulate, where a display of life-size wax figures brings scenes from 19th century Kaohsiung back to life. In these scenes, we're going to meet some of the people who actually worked in and around this building and get a sense of the consulate's place in Taiwan's history. First, we come across a man dressed for an expedition. His reddish hair is swept back and he sports a mustache. When we find him, he's sitting on some craggy rocks and looking with curiosity at a lizard he holds in an outstretched hand. The man is also being watched. From the rocks behind him, two monkeys are looking on. This is Robert Swinhoe, the first British consul here. Swinhoe wouldn't have recognized this place. He left Taiwan in the 1860s before the consulate and its residents were finished. Still, leaving him out would be a bit odd. That's because of the enormous contributions he made to the world's understanding of Taiwan. Swinho's true love was natural science, and during his several years as consul here, he spent his spare time climbing mountains and rowing through swamps, hunting for new specimens to study. Taiwan's birds and butterflies especially were his passion, but he was curious about all of the island's creatures. Ms. Lin says his objects of study included the monkeys that are watching him in this scene, a Taiwanese species called the Formosan macaque. Not that he had to look too hard for those. The high mountain that rises behind the consulate has the nickname Monkey Mountain for a reason. Swinho introduced an entire catalogue of Taiwan's endemic species to scientific circles in Britain. In recognition of his work, other naturalists would give his name to many more Taiwanese species. Among the Taiwanese creatures named for Swinho are a species of brown frog, a butterfly, and most famously, the beautiful Swinho's pheasant. 
实呃，很多呃外国的传教士进来台湾，他会用一种传教的方式。In 1865, a Presbyterian missionary called James Laidlaw Maxwell arrived in Kaohsiung. Taiwan had its fair share of missionaries around during this period. The trade wasn't the only thing that interested Westerners, but Maxwell's preaching is only a part of his place in Taiwan's history. That's because he didn't just convert; he also cured. The Scotsman had a medical background that he used to his advantage in winning people over. In another scene here, we see him examining a patient's eyes as curious onlookers watch. On a table behind him are trays of scissors and an array of flasks and vials. Ms. Lin says that malaria was a common disease in Gaoxiong during those days, but she says records show that eye ailments were one of the conditions Maxwell treated most often. 那在一八六六年就新在其后新建了一个礼拜堂，而且开设了其后医馆。那这个医馆就成为台湾的首座的。Here in Gaoxiong, Maxwell would go on to help found Taiwan's first Western-style hospital. Not everyone reacted well to Maxwell's unfamiliar treatments, though. During his time in Taiwan, he would travel a bit to the north to what's now Tainan, and there locals started talking. Rumors began to spread that he would kill people and extract their brains. And amid the uproar this rumor caused, the local authorities forced Maxwell to leave the area. Our third scene takes place on November 17, 1868. The situation is tense. A man in a suit and a man in official Chinese robes sit opposite each other at a long table. The man in the suit is Consul John Gibson, who has only been in his position for a few months now. The robed man is Circuit Intendant Zheng Xiende, who's been sent to Taiwan on an important mission. Gibson is not happy. The Imperial Chinese authorities have seized a British company's shipment of camphor. This valuable commodity was used in smokeless gunpowder and came primarily from Taiwanese camphor trees. However, the imperial government has a monopoly on camphor, and this shipment violates that monopoly. Meanwhile, other trouble is stirring too. Local resentment against Westerners, especially the missionaries, has flared up, and several churches have been burnt down. As the dispute over camphor and missionaries heats up, conflict is in the air. In the end, Gibson and Zheng fail to reach an agreement, and a British gunboat shells the island's capital at what's now Tainan. This show of force ends the camphor monopoly. 其实，在那个年代来台湾的领事里头，多半都是单身。Finally, we return to a scene we looked at last week, where a woman in a green Victorian dress stands by her sedan chair before a lively mix of vendors. This woman is Mary Dunnathorne Warren. She is the wife of Pelham Laird Warren, acting consul from 1879 to 1880. Warren's career with the consular service took him and his family around a number of imperial ports. This makes the Warrens an unusual example of a foreign family here in the 19th century. By their time, the consular residence, with its cool arched veranda, had just been finished up in the hills out back. From up in this residence, they would have had wonderful views of the harbor. Where this scene takes place, down on the street in front of the consulate, Mary Warren could go on outings, taking in the sights of the port. Of course, she was a lady of the Victorian era, and in this scene, she's accompanied by a chaperone, 
the consulate's Philippine-born constable. Mary's story has a tragic ending. During her time in Kaohsiung, she fell ill, and she died early in 1884. She's among the foreigners from this era, buried in the Takao Foreigner's Cemetery. But in this scene, she's back to life again, illustrating life during Kaohsiung's first heyday as an international port. From 1895 on, things changed. In the years since the consulate's founding, Japan to the north had learned the lessons of Western imperialism, and Taiwan was its first colonial prize. After a war with Japan, Imperial China would be forced to cede the island, and 50 years of Japanese colonial rule began. Meanwhile, factors like silting were bringing stagnation to the port at Kaohsiung. Britain closed its consulate here in 1910 and sold off the property to Japan in 1925. An era of gunboats, sugar, and Western privileges in southern Taiwan came to an end. During Japanese rule and after, the consular building would come to house researchers. Meanwhile, the consul's residence up in the hills would become a marine observatory and a weather station before being left empty and laid to waste by a typhoon. Kaohsiung, meanwhile, would grow into a major port and shipbuilding center, with tall buildings and, these days, two million people. The city never forgot the earlier stage in its history that first linked it to the world. The old consulate and residence have been carefully restored, and today, as historic sites once more, they take visitors on a journey through time. <laughs>